This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. IBME provides in-depth mindfulness programs for teens and young adults, helping our kids learn awareness, compassion, and concentration practices. And these mindfulness practices help develop essential skills our kids need, such as deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication skills. The courses not only teach mindfulness practices, they help teens apply them and create a community for our kids to work with. This summer, they have online courses and retreats, as well as an in-person retreat. They have programs like multiple teen and young adult retreats, community conversations around equity and interdependence, LGBTQIA teen and young adult retreat, and monthly rainbow family meditations, monthly meditations for communities of color, and so much more. You can get details and you can register at ibme.com. Just be sure to enter your email so you stay updated on new offerings as they frequently add new programs. That's ibme.com. Today's show is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America easy. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey making it incredibly easy to compare options and book your vacation, and letting Omeo save you time and money. I know I'm looking forward to using it to compare different ways of reaching the same destination on my next vacation. Are you ready to get out and travel? Omeo wants to help by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head over to omeo.com, O-M-I-O.com, and use the code LISTENER5, all in caps in the number five, when you check out. The code's valid until June 30th for new users on all modes of transport at Omeo, where you can plan, book, and love your journey. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler. I'm stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. I just want to remind you parents, pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. It'll let you get things started in a way that will make them want to connect with you leadership is on my mind. If you have a child who has filled out college applications or scholarship applications, then you know the important role leadership plays in higher education. But why leadership? I mean, why are the colleges so focused on this and what does it really mean? Is it about your team being president of every organization they participate in? Do they need to be team captain? What is this? Well, Umbreen Body has some unique thoughts on leadership. She is director of the Athena Center for Leadership at Barnard College, where she works with young women and she helps them build a better world. Today, she is helping us understand leadership. Umbreen, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. You have said, Umbreen, that effective leadership isn't so much about remarkable individuals riding up to rising up to lead. Why do you think that model doesn't hold true? And what is effective leadership? 
Oh, I just think it's so dated, right? I mean, I think this idea of the the person at the front of the room or the, you know, the CEO or um, the president being the only people who can lead, like, I just think it's a dated concept. And I, I would be surprised if it resonated with very many young people today. Um, but I also think that, you know, anything worth, really worth solving in the world is never going to be solved by a single person. It just doesn't work that way, right? And anything worth solving is, you know, often not solved in a single try, right? So that there's a resilience piece of it that we always have to be aware of. It definitely takes a lot of efforts. Um, and it's things are not solved through a single approach. So if you look at the kind of really big challenges that we face, um, it's going to take, you know, engineers, it's going to take writers, it's going to take artists, entrepreneurs, all of that. And so I, I really think about leadership. Um, it's hard for me to think about leadership in the abstract. I guess I'll put it that way. Like as a concept, it's hard for me to really, it, it, we could talk about anything, right? And we could talk for five hours right now. Um, and so I really think about what it is that you want to lead for and to. And I really think about leadership as, you know, leading towards positive change. And and how do you do that? I think that that is just a recognition that we are all connected. And so um, what you're mentioning, this idea of, you know, a remarkable individual rising above the fray. Yeah, I think that that is very, um, it's often very Hollywood. It's often very, um, very much reinforced for us. But, you know, look at our government. We may have a president, but we have a massive government apparatus, you know, tons of agencies, cabinet members, et cetera. And so, I am really focused on helping students become collaborative leaders. And I think that that's really important because of all the things I just mentioned, but also because I think it's, I think it's a muscle. You have to kind of keep working at it to build it. And so that is something that I think we can provide um, that is unique and important through the center to a set of incredible students who probably have been told all their lives that they are leaders, right? And so my starting point when they get to Barnard is that they are leaders. Like, I don't have any doubt of that. I'm sure that they showed leadership potential and leadership um, qualities in their application. I'm sure that that has something to do with why we selected them. And so the question for me then is what kind of leaders will we help them become? And I think it's, like I said, collaborative. I think it is responsible. So really thinking about, um, you know, the impact that your ideas and your actions have on communities around you, on the people around you, but also on yourself. Right. So you will. So how do you how do you recognize change making and leadership as, um, you know, leading towards positive change in the areas that you care about? How do you see that as a long game and really leadership as a practice rather than like a goal, a destination, something you achieve yet another thing for young women to strive for? Like I just that doesn't connect with me. Right. So it's really this it's it's this muscle that I think um we are building and then effective leadership is, you know, something huge that we could unpack, but I think I'll leave it at this because I've just talked a lot. Well, and we'll come back to effective leadership. I think what I'd like to do is let's try backing up the train to maybe the high school years, because you made the comment mm -hmm. that the single leader is an outdated idea. And yet one, yes, Hollywood loves to show that. And two, many of us as parents, like that's what we grew up with. So mm -hmm. I'd like to help us to, to shift maybe some of our ideas about what leadership is and what it looks like so we can encourage that in our kids. So at let's go back to, you know, high school or maybe even middle school level. If I'm 
encouraging my child and encouraging leadership traits and leadership style actions in them. If I want to help them build this muscle, can you mm-hmm. maybe give us some, some concrete ideas on what that might look like other than being student body president or mm-hmm. captain of the team or first chair in the orchestra or whatever. Right. And all those things are important, right? Like, you know, I, I did the things too. So did you, so did everybody. So they are important, but it's, I think, when you recognize leadership as a practice rather than a goal, it becomes like not how do I become class president, but what are the ways in which I can lead every day, right? And so, and there are points, by the way, in which I don't have to lead and I'd rather follow. And so I think it's also seeing that this is a very fluid thing. Like if you are um, just the leader, then, you know, when are you really listening? And, and how can you lead in every space? It's not possible, right? So I think... I think seeing it as a practice is probably the most important thing that I would say we should really be thinking about is how do you um, engage in everyday acts of leadership? Not how do you become class president, but what are the acts of leadership that you can show in the classroom? What are the acts of leadership that you show even amongst your siblings, you know, with your friend groups, et cetera? Um, so that, that's a definitely, that, that's a really big part of it. But I think it's also, um, you know, leading as the sole leader, like, isn't that just so lonely? I mean, I, th- I think I come back to that all the time, that that is, what, why would I want that for my kids? Like, why would I want them to be, you know, taking on all the pressure of something going right? Um, you know, having to be the most decisive person in the mix, having to be the public representative of everything. Like, I think that there's, I would rather get us to a place where leaders are exceptionally collaborative and know how to elicit the best from others um, and can work in sort of a wide range of environments. It's interesting. My daughter had an experience like that in college. She was president of her college's student volunteer bureau and started out at the beginning of her term leading in in this out, more outdated, more traditional idea. And she was tracking the impact her organization had. And then she shifted gears and she shifted to this more collaborative style and letting other people take on more and bring more to the table and take the reins on things. And the numbers showing their impact on campus and in the community just skyrocketed. And she was Mm -hmm. so excited. And it was so fun for me to watch her learn that. And I didn't think about it in the terms that you're saying, So with this idea of helping our kids change the way they're thinking about it, a thought that came to me was if they say I'm going to run for student class president as parents, we can go, wow, okay, that's exciting. Why do you want to run? And have the conversation with them to find out what impact they they want to have, what they actually want to change rather than I want to be president so I can put it on my resume. And if that's yeah, I mean, their what are answer for, right? Right. Why are right. you leading then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if their answer is, well, I want to find a resume, then we can take that conversation to the place of, well, where, where would you like to make a change? Where would you like to have an impact? Like you said, what are you leading for? And it feels like those conversations can maybe help us find places that are a better fit for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely right. And I will, I will also say that, look, you know, I don't represent Barnard as a whole, like I'm speaking both as an alum and as, you know, the director of our leadership center, but I think colleges, generally speaking, 
reinforce that, right? Like we're, we're looking for leadership, you know, this whole idea of like, put it on my resume for my college applications. Like this is, you know, we've been talking about this for decades, right? I certainly like looked for things that I could put on my resume for my college applications. And I wanted to show that kind of leadership. I do think that admissions offices are pretty sophisticated and can obviously see that there, you know, there's a, a wide range of leadership and that leadership can manifest in different ways. But I, I think we can never say it enough that we have to keep reinforcing that leadership is something that you practice just like all your life long, right? But I think identifying as a leader, um, that just feels like a lot of pressure. <laughs> I mean, frankly, that just doesn't sound that fun or exciting to me. Um, but can I show leadership, you know, in in my friend group when I think something is going in a direction I don't like, of course, right? I think that I can show leadership in my group, even though my, you know, my club, even if I'm not necessarily the president or the vice president or something like that. But there's only a couple of spots for those people, right? Like the, if you have a student government, what are there like five, maybe six spots and, you know, a student body of like 400. I mean, so what happens to all the rest of those people? They can't be leaders. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. It also seems like this style of leadership or this idea of it plays to some of the I guess you'd say the unsung strengths our kids may have, for example, mm -hmm. like an introvert. People tend to think of that extroverted idea of mm -hmm. a leader. And yet I see introverts have amazing impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you beat me. You absolutely beat me to it. You beat me to it, which is that I think um, the vision of leadership when something pops into your mind um, is often very extroverted. I mean, I would ask everyone listening right now to take a second and just imagine a leader. Like, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? And it, it probably not is not an introverted young woman but she may be making incredible change through the work that she's doing and showing leadership in ways that you hadn't even considered um, because we are so inundated with a certain vision of what leadership is. I mean, I, maybe you may have seen this. I think um, I saw this visual after uh, Kamala Harris became our vice president that it was just like, you know, like all white male faces and then suddenly a black woman's face. And it, it's just like when you see, you know, <laughs> so many faces and then just this one like it's so it's so overwhelming mm -hmm. and you realize that we continually are pitched a, a vision of leadership that um that is small like it's not as expansive as it can be and um and I think that often the the sort of reaction to that smallness has been how do we help women get into male-dominated spaces how do we help people of color sit in the spaces occupied by white men, et cetera, right? And so it becomes like inclusion of us. Uh, and I say this as a woman of color. And I think the reason that that just like grates for me is because it's still your space then. I'm being welcomed into it. And I don't really want that. Like, I don't I don't want to be welcomed, welcomed into your fold. Like, why isn't this all of our spaces, right? And so, so I think that we have to sort of very actively push back on the idea that leadership looks and functions a certain way. Um, and that, and, you know, on some level, I wish I never had to talk about the word leadership again, right? <laughs> because I think it, it it sort of like elicits all of these things that then you have to say it's actually something different, right? Um, but we are really looking for leaders as change makers. And so we've actually defined leadership for ourselves. And this is not to say that, you know, leadership isn't a ton of other things. It is. But at Athena, leaders are problem solvers, meaning leaders, you know, see a challenge in the world. And they see that as an opportunity to build something better. 
And so that is what they do at Athena. That is what we help them do. Um, and it can be it can be big, it can be small, it can be on any scale, but it's really like, is, is a challenge to you something that, is there any opportunity in that for something more beautiful to come out? If there is, like, we are here to help you make that happen. I'm curious what types of skills and attributes you see really shining in collaborative leadership? That's a great question. Um, I think it is, of course, listening. Um, one thing I think I've been puzzling through, and I don't know that I totally have an answer to this yet, but I've been puzzling through the difference between um, what feels like collaboration, which to me feels like one plus one equals like one million, um, what feels like consensus, you know, which is like, okay, fine, like one plus one is two, you know, we're working together, and then compromise which like, we're still at the same place, but we're actually kind of bitter about it. <laughs> so, and so I've really been trying to think through how we can distinguish those feelings because something that emerges for us often, um, and we've not fully resolved it is this, you know, it, it'll be an experience in which students are working together on something. And, um, and, you know, an idea gets picked maybe by the loudest person, the most persuasive person, whatever. And then, you know, the student whose idea wasn't heard or wasn't picked, like, you know, it's a sidebar with the, with the facilitator, the teacher, whatever. Um, and it's like some quiet resentment, right? <laughs> because they, they aren't getting to work on what they're wanting to work on. And so what I think really meaningful collaborative leadership looks like is not a forced group project. So I think it looks like creating spaces for other ideas and opinions to emerge and then taking them seriously um, and and working together to make you know a shared vision happen so it means rather than saying you know you know you four students you work on tackling hunger it's more like you know you bring in a bunch of students and some of them happen to be interested in hunger and some of them happen to be interested in entrepreneurship and some are interested in policy and some are interested in you know, climate change, and you help them see the connections between all of those things. And then you foster kind of the like community and, um, you know, letting down your guard and so on, and that makes them want to work together. And then I think this piece is really important. And it's something I think, you know, we're always trying to work on too. How do you then give them the tools to navigate, you know, the inevitable bumps, the conflicts, you know, passive aggressiveness, whatever is going to arise in that moment. So that I think is, that is, like what has to happen for collaborative leaders to emerge. That's a very tall order. <laughs> it is, but you know what? If we're not naming it, then how are we going to get there? And I, yeah. I think like you see, I mean, it, it exists, right? It's not like there's no precedent for it. I mean, I th think about when you're, you know, when you're younger, you choose the clubs that are in front of you or you get in assigned to the group projects that are given to you by your teachers. But the older you get, the less that is, the case, right? Like I don't get assigned to very many group projects at this point in my work. I get assigned to some and I, you know, I work on them and they're great and I learn something from them. But if I'm going to really own my life, like I am going to find the things that I'm interested in and then I'm going to have to recognize that I can't do it myself and find other people who I can work on, work on it with. And I think that I'm limiting my imagination if I'd want to do it by myself. So I, I don't think it's impossible. I just think it's it's def it is a tall order, no question. I won't argue with you there. 
and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. And part of the reason I think it's such a tall order is the way our society is structured and has been. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of change happening at a grassroots level. And I think that mighty parents are parents who want to really have good conversations with their kids and want to hear their ideas and work with them on things. So I think we can start by modeling some of this at home. I think Mm -hmm. we can start by encouraging our kids. You just said, if I want to, if I want to have the reins here in my life and there's something I care about, I need to go out and find other people who also want to care about this, who also care about this and want to solve this problem with me. So we can encourage our kids to do that. You know, what do you care about in the world? Where would you connect with other people who care about that? What could you even possibly do about it? To to just ask them about their passions, their cares, their concerns, and encourage them to come together in community and work toward those solutions and recognize it's going to be a bumpy road. You pointed out all the things that can happen, the conflict, the passive aggressive mm-hmm. behaviors, things like that. So maybe one of our classes should really be conflict resolution. Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, think of it this way, right? Like this is this is something that often comes to my mind. Um, y- you know, teenagers have ideas for things that they want to do. And very often they start a nonprofit. Like they come up with something and they start a nonprofit. I can guarantee you that there is another nonprofit that already exists that is working on something either exactly the same or similar enough that you could benefit from partnering with or just learning from, right? Like, I don't know that we need another nonprofit tackling whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that when we're talking about very tactical things, um, I think don't be the parent that encourages your, your kid to start a, start a new organization because it's going to look good on a college resume. Like, be the parent who says, you know, oh, you're really interested in issues of hunger. Let me, you know, who else is working on that in our city? Like, where would you find those people and help them find collaborators? Because it's just so, I mean, that is something I see all the time, right? Is like another nonprofit, another company, another organization. And and there's so much you need to think through there. And I think part of the reason we do that is because of our, society's focus on individualism and heroes. I think that's a part of it. Um, And I think we do it because it's easier. It's easier to want to be the person in charge than it is to figure out how you're going to work with someone you don't really know. It's going to slow you down. You're going to have to figure out what they're like. Oh my God, I have to get another Zoom call. You know, like it's not, I understand why we turn away from it. It is easier to go it alone. But I just challenge you to think about whether it's actually easier. Like, is it, is it actually getting you someplace better? And I, I don't know that it is. Mm-hmm. Well, we also mentioned the idea that big problems are solved, not just from tackling it from one direction. Mm-hmm. You said, you know, we're going to need the engineers and the accountants and the creatives. We need everybody working together. And I know that when I see media articles on solutions to problems, that's the same thing. The real problems are being solved by taking, oftentimes it's like taking the waste from one area and Mm -hmm. turning that into fuel in another area. It's just, it's, it is, it's that collaborative, cooperative piece. So if our child is going out and starting their own nonprofit, as you gave that example, they're, they're chimneying. They're only working on that one little piece of something. And if 
they say, this is the problem I'm passionate about, then we can encourage them to go either A, who's working on it and go ahead and chimney and learn more about it. Well, and actually I'd flip it. I'd flip it, right? Because I don't actually think that they're working on a small piece of it. I think that often the nonprofits that young people start um, come from a place of like seeing that there's change that needs to happen in the world. And then what they end up being is very, um, very ambitious, right? Like, um, and and I, I wish I could think of an example right now, but the ambitions are significant. And I think that that's like, that is what I love about young folks, right? That, that that's where, how they operate. But on the flip side, then, you lose the ability to focus on something narrow where you could build a real skill and an expertise, right? So instead of like addressing, you know, um, literacy amongst high school students or, you know, uh, middle school students or something, that's such a tall order. Like, is there something very specific that you could do on this topic that, and, and, and work by partnering up with another organization or another person working on this? Like, I think that that will actually serve you better than founding something. Okay. And going back to that place of college applications and scholarship applications, there's some fear on parents' level of what if my kid doesn't get into a good college? What if they can't get the scholarship and we can't afford to send them or we can't afford to send them where they want to go? Whatever. There are these fears around that. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to put those onto the kids and go, no, no, you need to start the nonprofit because that'll be what looks good on the college application. Help us see. Does it look good? Well, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, that's I, what look, we're I told. Work. <laughs> that's what we're told as parents. And so, but what I wanted to ask from you is, you know, from that leadership standpoint, can you, again, this is just about shifting our own mental frame. So if mm-hmm. my child then goes and says, okay, you know, I care about literacy and I want to work on literacy in middle school kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to become part of this project and a volunteer here. Can you help us? frame that for ourselves in leadership terms? Like how- I think you're right about what you learned. I think you're right about what you learned. So I learned how to um, essentially like find answers, right? So, so much of what you're doing when you're leading in the world post-college is solving things that have no playbook, right? So I learned how to like research and see what was out there. Okay, I think that's an incredible skill. Like come to my college, right? I think that that is amazing. I learned how to pitch something to someone. I learned how to deal with it when they said no. I learned how to pitch it to someone else, right? There's a million things that are leadership skills in that that you can talk about. And and the way that I think about that is really almost the distinction between a cover letter and a resume. Like on your resume, you can list founder of, you know, amazing organization, but I don't know what that amazing organization is. Like when I'm reading the cover letter, I okay, it looks interesting. Let me go Google it. Does it have a nice website? Okay, you know, there's nothing, it doesn't tell me anything. But in your cover letter, you can tell me a story about what you've learned from your experiences that will demonstrate leadership way better than writing the word founder XYZ on your resume. Does that make sense? It does. And when you were saying, you know, list, write about what you learned and list these things, the other thought that ran through my head was, oh my goodness, when they're writing an essay, they can also write about how that impacted them. So Mm -hmm. that that piece, that impact is kind of the hook and the emotional catch that says, this is me, the person, like, Mm -hmm. this is who I am, what I love, what I'm passionate about, what I care about. And I also strengthen these skills or, or 
got these skills. Maybe I didn't have them in any capacity before I started. These are new skills for me, but either way, I see how those two can, can come together and really work together much more effectively than many of the traditional options that we look at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it's not like if I saw a college application and it said I founded this or whatever that I would ignore it. It's just that honestly, tons of students are doing it. It tells me nothing. Um, and I think what I'd rather know is why, but also the why is often really easy to write, right? The why is like, I saw this issue in my community. I, it really bothered me. And so I wrote something, you know, so I felt like here's something I'm going to do. But what I want to see is your ability to recognize that it's just going to, it's big and it's going to take a lot of people. And here's how I thought about contributing. And I think that this is just also my reaction to this idea of like incredible individualism. I mean, if if anything, this year has taught us, right, this past pandemic year, we're coming up on one year, I think, of the you know anniversary of something that I thought was going to be like a couple of weeks, how naive of me. Um, we have seen that our fates are tied. Like, it doesn't matter if, you know, like you don't mask for yourself, right? You mask also to protect other people. And so there's all these things that we're recognizing that are deeply connected to each other. And so if you can show me in a college application, your recognition that we are all deeply connected to each other and that you see yourself as, as you know, responsible for our collective progress with the skills that you have, like that is just so much more compelling to me than I saw a problem, therefore I didn't look around and see what else was happening. I founded an organization to resolve it. When you say it like that, it's so clear that me focus. <laughs> it is me focused. And you know, it's look, I mean, we're all narcissists on some level. So I do get it. And I and I don't, you know, expect a, a 16, a 17 year old to know exactly how to how to do this. That's why I think it's our job as parents to help them navigate that. So when my daughter comes to me with something that she is really passionate about, there is going to be such cultural pressure for her to lead on it in the traditional sense. And what I'm going to really try hard to say to her, and I'm going to have to resist it because I'm going to want her to have the things that are like that she can write on her, on her college application. But I'm going to have to say to her, you are never the first or the only. Like it just, you know, Kamala Harris is in the White House because Shirley Chisholm ran and Barack Obama won. And, you know, there's there's a you are picking up a baton from somebody else. Like, I think it is not this this metaphor of leadership as as a marathon. It's leadership as a relay race. Right. So someone did something for you to be here, even if that someone was like me, you know, raising you in this community and preparing you, whatever. Right. But. But it's showing my child that like that she just is not the first or the only and that that's not even a desirable thing to be like that is lonely. And so, you know, Barnard has produced tons of trailblazers. I mean, just countless trailblazers. In fact, I think on our website right now, you will see how many um, firsts we have produced. And I think, you know, I am grateful every day because those women set something up for me to be able to do something today. But I don't think that wanting to be the first in and of itself is really that virtuous a goal. When you talked about this, when, well, when you said you're never the first or the only, it, that really struck a note with me. And I think that's a conversation that can be lacking oftentimes in our homes. And I'll put in the show notes under resources, I'll put a link to an episode we did 
um, and I apologize, I'm blanking on the author's name, the episode, all of that, but I'll put it in the show notes. It's a, it's a really neat book. It's like a middle school level book, but I loved reading because it, it was one chapter on each of different impactful events in American history. And one of them was the women's suffrage movement. And I'm sad to say I'm, a, I'm an American woman who has this right to vote and I appreciate it very much. And I, yet I didn't really know behind the scenes what these women had gone through mm-hmm. to get that for me. And I think that talking about those things, maybe reading books like that or watching documentaries or whatever, and then having that conversation and going, well, what did this person's actions, what impact has that had on our lives? How has that helped us? How did that give us a leg up or a hand out or a foot forward Mm -hmm. to help us get someplace else? I think though all these little conversations come together to, to shift the mindset and to help our kids see that they don't have to be focused on them, that leadership can be and and really is this beautiful collaborative, I'm thinking of it almost really as a lifestyle. I, I think it is a lifestyle. I, I mean, it's definitely a lifestyle. And I think, you know, I just watched Hidden Figures with my daughter, so this is on my mind. Um, even those women who were first in so many ways, but they weren't alone. Right. And so I I think even when you take the first woman to do anything, she definitely had sisters. Like she definitely had someone somewhere that was supportive of the of the ceiling that she was smashing. Right. So it it exists if we are only willing to see it. Um, And I just I just wish that more for us. And I, I know I keep saying the word lonely, but I think you have to tie this to the absolute epidemic of loneliness and of anxiety and depression. And I think that the way that you tie this is that when we, when we pressure people to go it alone, inadvertently even, that is just, I don't, I don't want to be there, right? Like I want, I want to, you know, the, the beautiful thing about Barnard for me was that I don't actually have a biological sister and now I have hundreds, you know, because I went through this experience with just so many other women who just, I mean, they're, they're precious to me in my life even now, like decades later. And I am really drawn to women's spaces for that reason. I, I can find real sisterhood. And I, I, much, like, I much prefer that over um, being the first or the only or being the person in the front. I, I think that it is really, really hard. Um, you know, something that comes to mind for me is I graduated from college in 2000 and I was very involved in the Muslim Students Association when I was in college. And I am so grateful that I graduated in 2000 because do you know it was really hard for Muslim students in colleges who graduated a year later (laughs) was having Mm. to talk about 9-11. I mean all of a sudden these kids who like had just been practicing their faith like you know doing their thing like going to prayers on Fridays fasting during Ramadan like you know hanging out in the library whatever all of a sudden these students are national spokespeople for their faith for their community in a really uncomfortable time in American history. I mean, that I think about that often, right? That that is like, they had to show leadership, but that must have been so scary. And that must have felt so difficult. And so the more that we think about this as a collective approach and as, you know, working together to achieve something, I just think it's better for us. I think that 
there is an absolute epidemic of loneliness and anxiety and depression amongst young people that we should be very concerned about. And I think a big part of it is all of the ways in which our society fosters individualism and encourages it. And so how do we push against that? Like, this is like my active, my active work every day. Well, it's beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing this with us. For listeners who want more from you, where can they find you? Oh, well, they can find me um, probably tweet about interesting and maybe nonsensical things on Twitter. So that's at, at UB14. Um, but I would love it if they followed us at on Instagram. So it is um, Barnard Athena Center is our Instagram handle. And you'll see some of the kinds of offerings that we have. And you'll see um, also our amazing students. So if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. So I really hope that you'll find us there. Well, thank you so much, Umbreen, for these wonderful insights. And really, I know for me, a very different view of things, one that feels very good and very right and comfortable. So I appreciate your time. Of course. And I, I just want to say that um, I, I feel all the fear. You know what I mean? Like I get that this is also a very different way of looking at things. And I pray every day that by the time I get to college applicant, first of all, I hope that like colleges look completely different by the time my kid is applying because, you know, I don't know that I can afford <laughs> everything that exists right now. Another conversation worth having, but um, it, it, it will be easy for me to default to, you know, were you president of this and did you captain that? And while those are all really important things, she may not. And so I have to find ways for her to be able to see herself as a leader, even if she's not you know, fitting the traditional description. So I really appreciate that you had me on to talk about all of this because I care about it a lot. And it was so great to have you on the show, Umbreen. Thank you again. And Mighty Parents, helping our kids find what they're passionate about, find that inner leadership can be helped through IBME's programs. So pop on over to ibme.com and check out some of their courses, their programs, and especially the summer retreats they have going on. And remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you are a mighty parent. You got this, and I will see you next week.